fashion. This is all in for the love of the game. This is Love Set Match. Andre Agassi had this goal, you don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court. Like, you have to be better than someone that's across the net. I think you got to stay active in a sport sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe you're more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to give you a good feeling too. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tennis Bell Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. As you know, Tennis Pal Chronicles is sponsored by Tennis Pal, which is a great app you can download for Android and iPhone. Find people to play with and enjoy tennis in your area. Just enter in your zip code. You can message people directly. It's a super fun app, and it has lots of news as well. And the big news today, of course, is the Australian Open Finals, which just finished the men's and women. And here to join me is my wonderful co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hi, Valerie. Hey, Philip. How's it going? It's going great. How are you feeling this Sunday morning, finals morning? I am uh, tired and relieved that this, str- this stretch of tennis is over. <laughs> <laughs> The Australian Open is tough for us uh, California natives because of the time difference, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, pretty much all the matches you want to see start at midnight and go till like 4 a.m. Yeah. I think this men's final was at 1230, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, Djokovic handled it so quick that, you know, it was over by 230. Yeah. Spoiler (laughs) alert. Well, there were a lot of really great highlights uh, for week two. We covered week one in our last podcast. Please take a listen to that if you haven't heard it yet. But this was week two of the Australian Open. We just finished the men's final. So that's really fresh in my mind if you want to jump right into that. As you said, Djokovic won handily. Yes, number 18. Number nine at at the Rod Laver Arena, right? He yeah. personally thanked the court. Yeah. <laughs> in his speech. <laughs> the inanimate object. Yes. Surprised he didn't kiss it. He, he used to like, like he, he used to kiss it yeah. and, or some, or eat grass at Wimbledon and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't recall seeing him kiss it this, yeah. this time. Well, and that just reminds me of this really funny meme that has been going around of uh, Nick Kyrgios, uh, before he got knocked out, he came onto the court and he was doing the, like the Djokovic, like kiss and send love to the world. I don't know if you saw that one. I didn't see it. Now I feel left <laughs> Just out. Just hilarious. Nothing amuses me more than Nick Kyrgios. I don't know. Mocking, I don't know. Poke, poking the fun world at Djokovic. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Rafa, right? I mean, there's no love lost there on both of them. Yeah, it's true. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't mind if he just pokes fun at anyone because it's entertaining, but... He, t- he does tend to pick on them more. His tennis is definitely the most entertaining to watch as far as um, just pure enjoyment, tennis as a sideshow, you know, just incredible. Yeah. What he's but able to, to naturally do is... His talent. Like trick, yeah, he's trick shot magic. Yeah. And you, you have to, when you're talking about talent, you just have to give it up for Novak Djokovic because incredible that he won so easily in straight sets 
over, I think, someone who people thought Medvedev was really going to give him a challenge. I know a lot of pundits were talking about five sets and, you know, going the distance and all of that. So they're all well, eating their words now. What, yeah, like what he did. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, what, he, what he did with Nadal and at the U.S. Open, I think, made people have that sense of belief in him. Yeah. I feel like Medvedev was more the story, even though uh, Djokovic obviously is the champion and won. Uh, I feel like uh, it was so interesting to watch Medvedev come to his own and really just tear through the tournament on a winning streak, just having really no difficulties against some of the best young players, and especially Rublev, who I actually was kind of excited about took him out pretty easily. I think they're since they're both Russian, they have this thing where they know each other really well, and I think Medvedev is really up on the head-to-head, so he's really inside Rublev's head. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a little like a, I don't know, a lot of those compatriots, you know, Fed and Vavrinka or Nadal and Ferrer or, you know, uh, Joke and Tipsarovich or something like that, yeah. right? I Joke mean, like they all... Joke they all kind of no have one. like a little brother came up behind him. <laughs> yeah. Just insane how easy it was. And, you know, considering his injury that he says he confirmed at the press conference uh, this morning that it is, in fact, an oblique tear that he has. And I don't know if you saw the press conference, but it felt very defensive. The whole thing. They they asked him about COVID, <laughs> how he how he handled COVID. They asked him about you know the press and they asked him about the injury. He kept going back and back to the injury. It did not seem celebratory at all. I mean, a couple of people said congratulations, Novak, but really the whole thing felt very defensive. And I honestly I felt bad for him. Here's a man who just won his ninth. He's historic in how yeah. good he is in beating other people. And even in the press conference afterwards, it's not like a a celebration you know like when roger wins uh, and he walks into the press conference people are cheering literally cheering, the press yeah, conference they, is they clapping do. for him and i was actually watching to see if that was going to happen are they going to clap for Djokovic as he walks in i know some of them are virtual but there were actually some there as well and it was like dead silent and very awkward it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic that the guy has to go through <laughs> so tough for him you know i i mean it's, I just can't believe that a person as good as he is has to deal with all the animosity that he has. It, it, it even kind of started with him saying in the beginning, well, you know, we as tennis players had to deal with a lot from the media uh, when we first got here. And, you know, he was criticizing the media for all of the negative attention that tennis was getting because they were complaining about being quarantined and, you know, all of that. So even I felt like the beginning of the interview kind of, got off on the wrong foot you know yeah maybe that's why they don't clap for him <laughs> i might i might not clap for him either if he was saying <laughs> what my job was making someone else's life harder i mean yeah. even if what he's saying is true it's hard for people to to see the truth sometimes you know yeah yeah <laughs> to be called out like that but yeah. i mean i don't know i'm just so amazed by the guy and he, he is amazing. He's not he's not my favorite player by any stretch, but I, I my jaw is always on the floor watching him. Like I respect and enjoy his game. Right. So much. Maybe 
I, honestly, he's grown, grown on me as a person too. I think he's just totally matured and, and I feel bad that he has to go through a lot of the stuff, but I mean, I didn't really particularly care for him in the beginning of his career because he didn't always say or do the right things. I think he's made a lot of very interesting choices during coronavirus as well. Um, I think that he just doesn't always put himself in the best positions for to accept love from everyone, but... And yet His you feel like he really amazing. wants it and needs it, right? I mean, you could just feel that he really needs it. Well, I think, like, we all want to be loved, right? Absolutely. And I, guess what, he, I feel like he has middle child syndrome. Like, his parents, like, which would be the audience, I guess, they just, they don't love him. Like, he can't do anything right. Federer and Nadal get all the love. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it has probably given him this complex where, right. like, maybe he wouldn't have been like it so needy of that like like the affirmation of our affection i guess um if if it wasn't that way if sure. people if he didn't come third in line behind two of the most beloved sporting people in our sports history right and and to clarify you weren't saying that his parents didn't love him as a middle child correct, you were saying correct. that gosh his parents treat him like the second coming you know yeah. His real parents, I should say. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, he has, there's no uh, loss of love in his family. He's definitely very well loved and respected. Yeah. I mean, the king. I think, I think that's one like of the king. things that you need to be all of these champions need. Such, the support such system. A, yeah, that's yeah. such a strong backbone of, of that love and foundation to be so successful. Yeah, I, I'm like you. I, I think this final was probably the least, I was the least excited about this Grand Slam final compared to other finals, just because I don't have a lot of love for Medvedev. Uh, of course, I respect both of them in their tennis and their amazing tennis players. But yeah, emotionally, I wasn't attached to it. But I did definitely think that Medvedev was building up to playing Djokovic and that he might actually give him a challenge. <laughs> you really didn't feel like there was much of that. There was a lot of really great stats that were on the Australian Open website, if you want to go through that. I thought that was really interesting on the technical side. They were saying that Medvedev's strokes generally registered faster in average speeds than Djokovic, that he actually has a, an average faster first uh, serve speed and top speed rather than Djokovic, almost 10 uh, kilometers per hour faster than Djokovic, which I thought was kind of amazing. And then in a similar story, they talked about his returns. Medvedev was registering a higher average return speed off of Djokovic's first serve as well as off of his second serve, something about 14 kilometers per hour faster than Djokovic's on return. So it's kind of exciting to see that he has the game, he has the strokes, he has the speed. And also it just reminds me, wow, tennis is getting faster and faster. You know, the the speed in which the ball is traveling is is inhuman right now, it seems, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know, though. I feel like faster obviously doesn't mean better. Placement is always going to win. Uh, yeah, it was so cool because, uh, in fact, I'd love to play a little bit of a clip of Medvedev talking about what it felt like for him in the first set. You look at the first game that I lost where he got broken the first set. I hit 
all of my first serves in that game that he got broken. He And he still broke me, which many are not capable of doing. Uh, but yeah, probably the top three are capable, and that's where he, Djokovic, is stronger than many other players on the tour. Let's listen to him talk. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's where uh, the difference is, you know, the, um, if we look at the game that I lost, the uh, first one, for sure, get out there. Not really tight, but it's just a start, you know, you want to get into it. I actually hit all my first serves, and uh, he broke me, so not many guys capable of doing it. Top three probably are. Um, and the last game was La Fori, trying to come back. He two good serves uh, or, or one good point, 30-40. Make a really good serve. He managed to, you know, on the stretch, uh, like I do sometimes, uh, bring it back, and I put it in the net, set is done. Uh, that's uh, that's where he he's stronger than uh, many other uh, players on the tour. So it was really interesting, and exactly to your point, it doesn't matter how fast Medvedev serves, Djokovic just was so much better in returning and putting the ball back and actually broke him even when he's hitting all first serves. And you've got to think, Medvedev feels like, wow, my first serve is one of my all-time weapons that really helped me against every other player except the top three, and, and obviously Djokovic proved that today. I feel like Djokovic has proven that time and time again, even when he beats Roger in the U.S. Open when he's down match point. That was a first serve he returned back for that (laughs) backhand winner on the line. Thank you for reminding. The the Wimbledon final, those were first serve returns he got back as winners. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't need a second serve. He can break first serves. I mean, he and his and that's what my thing is like. It's the placement, man. He gets it so deep, and yeah. sometimes it's skidding off the baseline, like the on championship point from this champ from this match. Yeah, like I, I happened to be asleep, and I was ha- I was struggling to stay awake. I kept waking up and checking the score, and I was like, not interesting yet, not interesting yet. And then I I woke <laughs> up, and it was like, oh, you know, Medvedev is serving and it's champ he's down uh break point and i'm like oh championship point what a great time to wake up and of course first serve Djokovic smacks that return right at his feet off the skids off the baseline and then like i don't even know how medvedev got it back and then it was just like the best point and that backhand lob smash that Djokovic did i was just like are you kidding me what am i watching <laughs> this guy is insane it's... Yeah, and yet the the stat that I just pointed out, Djokovic is actually hitting the return slower than Medvedev on the return of serve. And it just goes to the point for all tennis players, especially if you're just learning, it's not about power. Power, it's great if you have power, and it looks like you have so much power when you're hitting these winners, but really they're hitting the winners in just the right place, which creates a winner, right? It's not just about the speed. And so it's so much more important to have the control and the consistency of like a Djokovic than having like crazy, crazy power. Like I think Jack Sock has the one of the fastest forehands. I'd probably also say Karen Hatchinoff probably has a, one of the fastest forehands. And yet, obviously, look at where they are compared to Djokovic, right? Yeah. I mean, even if you break down like a serve, look at a John Isner or a Milo Srianic, and it's still like you can have a super amazing dominant serve and it's still not enough. You have to have a complete game and control the control and the consistency you're talking about. Oh, you know, along with the power, I think if you have the control and the consistency, but you don't have a weapon, then you're David Ferrer and you're not going to win either. (laughs) Right. You have to have it all. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And I would say, I would add to that in this generation of tennis, variety. Variety has really stepped up its game in tennis. People are hitting a lot more drop shots, moving people around the court. In fact, Djokovic did that a lot to Medvedev, trying to bring him in, doing drop shots, knowing that Medvedev is actually weaker at the net than Djokovic. Um, so that may not have worked against uh, a Rafa or a Federer, but definitely against a Medvedev, forcing him to come up to the net. Medvedev's a tall guy, too, really having to scrape the ground to get those shots uh, is very tough to do. I really don't see... I think Medvedev is is good. He's consistent. Rublev, all these young up-and-comers, like they may have these lucky tournaments, or I shouldn't say lucky because they're, they're very good. They're skilled. That, that was the wrong word. They're going to have well, these he's bre- now breakthrough t- tournaments. Top three players. But but be, like best of three and best of five is, is different, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, sure, I think he'll win Masters tournaments and he'll win lots of tournaments. But is he going to win Grand Slams? Is that Can he get through Djokovic and Nadal? Or right. even one of them, let alone both, is the question. And not just him, just like all of them. And I think truly, like the, the only danger to a Djokovic or a Nadal and then let's say Federer if he's healthy and super whatever. Actually, I think Federer gets hurt by different people. I think Djokovic and Nadal get hurt by power players having the match of – like just being on, right? Like a Stan like Wawrinka. A, like a Stan Wawrinka, mm-hmm. like a um, – Patchenoff has beaten like Djokovic a, Yeah, before. exactly. Anybody who has a big – a Del Potro, like anyone who has like a super big power game and they're they're just on. They can't seem to – hit a ball out if they tried. Yeah. Th- those are the only types of people in my mind that like are a, a true threat. And I think with Roger, it's actually, it's the opposite. He finds someone who's just like a backboard who's consistent on a day that he's not playing great. And those are the dangerous players to me for Federer that take mm. him out. Um, yeah. He, he <laughs> tends to do better with those shot makers um, right. and not, not letting them because he has a different style of game, I think than Djokovic and Nadal. Yeah. Um, he's way more aggressive, um, first shot tennis, right? Not, not like a baseliner. Right. But that being said, I just, I really, I don't, it's not like I think that Djokovic is unbeatable or Nadal is unbeatable. I just think they're so good in a best of five. Someone's really got to like do something crazy to take, to take them out. Um, or they have to be compromised their health, right? Yeah. Or they have to hit a lines person with a ball. Which reminds me of a tweet that was going around in the Federer camp <laughs> because they really wanted Djokovic to lose. So they said, can we all just agree that we're, we're all going to hate Taylor Fritz for the rest of our lives for now? <laughs> <laughs> because he was the only one who had, he really had a chance to take Djokovic out. I mean, he was up. Djokovic was really hurting. He had, in the third set, he knew that there was some, the tear had happened and it was fresh. And, you know, I think that if ever there was a chance, that was the chance. But he yeah. couldn't do it. And you know what? Taylor Fritz is exactly one of those types of players, too, that, like, yeah. you know, he's got that big game. So if right. he's on the same way, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of people, but I'm, I keep thinking of like 10 years ago. I'm thinking like Sangha and stuff. I'm like, wow, when's the last time I've said that? When's the last time he's been relevant? Why is his name coming out of my mouth? I sound like a dinosaur over Well, here. that just shows your, your pedigree in tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember. 
I'm like, oh man, why can't I think of tennis players? Um, probably because I haven't really watched as much as I normally do. Um, especially with the Australian Open and the wacky schedule. It's, it, was, it was such a like, you know, get off work at five, tennis starts, started at 4 p.m. Um, in California. And so it was like, okay, when am I going to sleep? Am I going to watch this and then sleep all night? and miss all the, the um, nighttime session matches, which are usually like the prime time. Like they, they always put the best matches in the middle of the night. So I would miss so much tennis because I'd have to like nap, you know, for four or five hours <laughs> after work so that I could wake up at midnight and watch tennis. <laughs> so I, I feel like I, you know, I missed a lot of matches, yeah. whereas like I love during the U.S. Open, obviously, it's in our country, so we're in the same time zone, kind of. I mean, we're only three hours different. So you, I can watch, you know, every match so much more, right? I can, right. I can watch 10 matches a day, not right. two. <laughs> <laughs> and just give up, like, our whole life for tennis. <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, when are we going to hit the lottery so we could just fly and follow the tour? <laughs> right. Well, I, I have to also say that the other superpower that Djokovic has is he just takes time away. And I remember every player used to say this about Federer. When you play Federer, you feel like uh, you're always rushed. You can't get enough composure to set up your game and have that first strike tennis. And it was the same for Medvedev. He talked about it in the press conference that the set went by so quickly. Uh, he actually said, you know, it was about a two hour, three set match, but it felt like 30, 30 minutes had passed and I'm, and I'm holding up the runners up trophy. Let's listen to him talk about this. Yeah, it was two different matches for sure. Um, because, uh, just they play differently. One is a lefty. The other one is a right handed first of all, you know, straight away. And, uh, Rafa gives you more time to think on the court. Uh, but then, you know, uh, then he's amazing in defense. He's amazing with his forehand. You feel like you won the point. He makes some crazy shots. But you have time to think and you have time to adapt to things. Today with Novak, I felt like, you know, I wanted to, to mix up things. I wanted to try to do something different. But I felt like uh, he took all the time from me. He took all the advantage in his side straight away. And so um, I was there, you know, we still played like two hours or something. So not that fast match, but it, for me, it felt like 30 minutes and I was there holding the finalist trophy. So um, I will not say right now, I don't know what I'm going to do differently, but for sure, I'm going to try to do something differently. But that's two completely different matches, which are both experience. And I'm really grateful for this. Yeah, so there, that's that just shows you that feeling of being rushed and how the greatest players can take away time, and that is tennis, right? If you can take away time and really put pressure on your opponent, uh, even if you don't have the hardest shots, even if you're not uh, the fastest server, it's it's really a weapon against players. Certainly is, and and also space, the ability to shrink the court. Right. With being um, fast, for one, but also um, kind of understanding the game and having the intuition to read where things are going to be. You know, that's the type of, I guess, tennis intelligence that I think um, Djokovic has that 
it allows him to even get himself from a def- defensive position into an offensive position is his tennis IQ and being able to kind of read situations and and also just his crazy ability, physical abilities as well. But yeah. if you have a physical ability and you just get it back and you're just, you know, playing defense, 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 it's nothing. But with him, he, he is able to turn it into like offensive shots and switch switch up the, the rally better probably than anyone. I mean, maybe Nadal on clay is the only other person who is so good at defense to offense, but they make that court feel so small because there's nowhere that you could hit it that's safe. Yeah. And that kind of makes me feel like there's this undervalued talent that Djokovic has as a learner, because I don't feel like Djokovic always had that kind of innate skill where you feel like that for Federer, right? I mean, everyone has always talked about his amazing hand skills, his amazing talent that he's had ever since he was a child. They they don't say that about Djokovic. He definitely is incredibly talented. And ever since he was a little kid, he was one of the top players wherever he went, right? But you Mm -hmm. feel like, wow, Djokovic has really learned how to play really, really smart tennis which also says a lot about his coaching, right? And the people who have coached him, who have been a, in a part of his life. I mean, he has become one of the greatest players of all time. And I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily just because of talent, would you? No, not, uh, definitely he's got the talent, but he's put in the work and he has made the sacrifices, right. you know, um, not just in the time, but like the dedication for to what to changing his diet like um the um, like all that amazing physio work he does to keep his body like just peak physical athlete athletic form you know is what Djokovic is to me well and i feel like we have to give credit to Marian Vitev who who I hope I'm saying his name right, but I mean, he has basically coached Djokovic his whole career. And when he uh, let him go, Djokovic started losing. When he brought him back, Djokovic started winning again, right? Mm-hmm. And there's something to that relationship and probably the the strength of the relationship. And also, uh, I, I've never heard Marion Vida in a interview, so I don't really know anything about him, but you really get the sense that he's kind of like an Uncle Tony, right, for Djokovic. I mean, he's been there the whole time. He's really coached him well and helped him to become the great player that he is as far as tactics, as far as learning, as far as understanding himself. You got to give him credit, right? Totally. And it's not like he was some professional coach before working with all these amazing people. It's like where yeah, he just had the goods to create this amazing champion. Right. And now he's one of the most successful coaches in history of Grand Slams. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, what they've, I, I definitely think, and think of how hard he had to work, like to come up, to come up when Rafa and Roger were reigning supreme and winning everything. Nobody else was right. able to do what he's done. Or even close. Yeah. No one else is other than like Murray got what four or five slams. Vavrinka got his his career slam. He has four, but like nobody else has even got what two, right? Um, but he's he's probably going to break their records right away. Yes. It's it's crazy because everyone thought nobody or everyone thought like no one's going to p- surpass Pete, and then bam, Roger does it like 
quite quickly after Pete retires. And then you think like, no, no one's going to touch Roger. And then it's like, here comes Nadal. And it's like, I think Djokovic is going to pass them both up personally. With with ease. (laughs) He actually talked about that in his press conference, which I thought was premature, but I guess it's guaranteed now weeks at number one because Roger holds holds that record, right? 310? What is weeks at number one? Yeah, 310 uh, weeks at number one, which, again, it was it's, it's what do we call it? We call it the uh, Pete Sampras effect, where you feel like there's no way in the world that anyone's ever going to pass Pete Sampras, and then they totally pass him. There's no way in the world that someone's going to be world number one for more than 310 weeks like Roger Federer was, and here comes Djokovic now passing him. He actually officially passes him in March, if I understand it correctly, but I guess it's guaranteed now because he won the slam, and there's just absolutely no chance for anybody to take him, right? So just mathematics. Correct, and I mean, he he got a little bit of a boost, I guess, by having last year rankings frozen, for lack of a better term. Right. However, that being said, you know, I guess that's kind of like, well, you'll never know. We'll never know. The odds are that he would have broke it anyway, I think, because I don't I don't know what was going to happen other than an injury that was going to make him somehow lose his number one ranking last year. But the pandemic certainly helped. Right. Just make that a little easier. Gave, gave him almost, you know, 40, 40 weeks front, <laughs> fronted, <laughs> fronted, like a free, like a free, it's like in football, they call it a free play. Like if, if you're on the offense and the defense makes certain penalties, uh, they throw the flag, but they let you get a free play out of it. So if anything bad happens, you know, you're not held accountable, but you can have an amazing magical play. And it was just kind of like free. Um, I feel like joke got a quote-unquote free year um yeah. that being said though i still don't think it would have made a difference i do think he would have still broke it anyway right and that's what medvedev said about his playing they asked him did you have a bad day and he said well even if i played better and i could have played better even if i played better there's no guarantee that the score would have been any different than it was yeah <laughs> which is you know i i did feel like uh Danil really was humble and very intelligent um answered the questions very unemotionally i i felt like he was a really good interview during his press conference so i don't know went up one step in my book you know just listening to him talk and stuff still in the back of my mind to have that rumor and all, all that terrible stuff. But I do feel like he is such an incredible up and coming player. I mean, he's now beat, he's now defeated top three ranked players and you know, he just, he can do it. I think the only one he hasn't beaten is Federer. And he actually said in his press, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing Federer in a, in a, in almost a cheeky way, you know, but uh, he, you know, without saying, I'm looking forward to beating Federer. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, one of the greatest tweets uh, that I read from him was just his humility about saying how hard it is or how good the top three players are and how hard it is to beat them or even to have the kind of record. So he said, look at me. I'm a pretty good tennis player. I'm 25 years old. 
and I've reached the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm one of the top players in the world, but I have zero slams. <laughs> so imagine for me to get 20. I need to win every slam for five years in a row. Five years in a row, I need to win every slam against amazing opponents, five set matches, not be injured. That's ridiculous. So he said, that's ridiculous. For me, they're the three for sure the greatest players in history. I love that quote. Yeah. It really puts it in perspective, even from the top guys that they're playing against, right? Yeah. And it also kind of, there was a funny tweet. Uh, this guy said uh, on Twitter, uh, not to be the guy, but if Federer and Nadal are the only ones who can beat Novak, isn't this the weak era? So you can put a whole uh, comment section to our podcast about that because they they were always saying, oh, the reason Federer was so great was because he was in the quote-unquote weak era, right? Uh -huh. So this is a guy throwing it back on what's happening now. Like if Federer and Nadal are the only people who can beat Novak, isn't this the weak era? <laughs> yeah. So that debate will continue forever. It's true. But it is. It's ridiculous, these numbers. Djokovic winning nine at the Australian Open. Nine. I mean, congratulations to him and his team. Just incredible. Yes, and yay for Tanya. I bet she's really happy. I actually messaged her on Instagram, and she was really happy, and she said thank you, and we, we celebrated in a moment. And really, I was just happy for her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I, I have a friend from Serbia, and so I, I love... That, that's my favorite part about Djokovic winning is just being able to congratulate her. It's also my favorite part when he loses is to get to make fun of her. But I like to do it both ways, you know, be happy for her and then also kind of give her a hard time sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Not too hard well, of a time, know, I... though, because, you know, <laughs> it would all come just biting me back, speaking French, you know, soon enough when he's when he has 25 slams and 580 weeks, number one. <laughs> well, I created a video on our YouTube channel that I would love for people to check out. Basically, Novak Djokovic uh, and his brutal racket smash. Because <laughs> he was when he was playing against Severov, he completely destroyed his racket and actually damaged the court surface that he was playing on. And they had to come out and repair it, sweep it up, that kind of thing. Oh, I uh, heard he shattered it. I heard there was like pieces shattered. Yes, exactly. It's like the greatest and, uh, racket smash ever. I didn't actually see it, though. I'll have to check it out on your YouTube channel. <laughs> you have to. And, of course, I set it to heavy metal music because I think every racket smash should be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I looped it with heavy metal music. So fun. You know, to me, that's just like the funnest thing. And, hey, welcome to Twitter. You, you finally joined Twitter, and now you get to see some of that really fun, trashy stuff that's happening. I, I do. I, unfortunately, I think the algorithm on my Twitter feed is, is has not quite got me into the tennis world yet. Um, gotcha. Well, I keep tagging you, hoping you'll see something. I think I see some of it, but I, I'm just not that good on it. Yeah. Well, do you want to share your Twitter and have people follow to you? To be honest, I don't even know how to operate it most <laughs> of the time. I'll have people... Um, send me messages or tag me and I'm like, I don't even know how to <clears throat> open it or look at it. <laughs> Excuse me. It's kind of funny. I had to ask a friend once. I was, she tagged me or she sent me something and I was like, I can't actually see what the post is. And she's like, oh, just click on it and then scroll up. I was like, oh, that was so easy. I feel so silly. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, well, my Twitter handle, I guess, is at uh, Manson's mom. And uh, that's, you know, for my old dog, Manson. And I'm his mom. So. Yay. So please follow Miss Valerie at Manson's mom on Twitter. And you can follow us at Love Set Match. That would be super fun. 